Well, good evening, church family. Blessing. It's Tuesday, isn't it? My, my, my. It sure goes quickly, and time is just flying, but a blessing to be here. Uh, How many of you had a good day today? All right. I think of the Word of God that says, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will, or we shall rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. And uh, a good day for us. It was a blue-collar day for me. Uh, Don't do that as much as I used to. The problem with that is when you only work blue-collar work a week or two every year, my, 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 it really kicks you around. Uh, I tell uh, people about every five years it goes by now, what I used to do is a commonplace thing, replace alternators, work on engines, whatever is with my coach, car, or trailer, takes me about twice as long to do and takes me about twice as long to heal up from after I do it. I said, about five, ten more years, I'm going to pay some young kid to go do it, and uh, it'll be worth every single penny. So, amen. Well, a blessing. I want to say thank you for your hospitality. A wonderful meal tonight. The Texas Roadhouse and uh, Brother Bill, Sister Marlene, and Brother Ben were uh, with us on that. My, my, my. Some of you are saying, we haven't been there for a while, have we? <laughs> that was a blessing. Thank you. Very great food, great, very great fellowship. And I want to say thank you for your hospitality. Also want to encourage you, if you haven't gotten a prayer card, please get one. Please get a prayer card there in bookmark form, and you pray for our ministry across America. Um, I remember when we got uh, switched up, we were going to use our tent, and after the children left, I thought I should go to Mexico for maybe a few months every year, deal down there. And as I was really praying about putting that in place, the Spirit of God just seemed to say to me, your field is America. You'd be satisfied with that? It's a field unlike Mexico. Mexico, you'll see a lot of professions of faith. You'll see tender-hearted people. They got nothing but their religion down there. That's all they got. Here in America, we got everything else that oftentimes gets in the way of our relationship with our king. And so he just said, you stay put, and uh, you understand these people, and this is your mission field. So uh, I'm glad I did. Shortly thereafter, he gave me the idea for the Corvette, and we've crisscrossed America with that outreach tool And it's really been a help in reaching the lost. I was coming back from the roadhouse, Texas roadhouse, and uh, I was texting. Is that legal to be driving and texting? Would you shut that sound off, brother? Mute me. No, (laughs) no, I'm teasing you. No law enforcement here, are there? I mean, they don't give you a ticket if you, after the fact, mention it, do you? Well, I'll just keep talking and find out pretty soon here. <laughs> and on top of it, it was my 38-foot motorhome I was driving, texting. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, and I'm over 50. The only good thing wasn't a woman. Oh, all right. Yeah, round of applause. That was a man who was probably clapping there. I've gotten one ticket in my life turning right on red. Can you imagine that? You weren't supposed to in Florida. That's what I said to the guy. He said, what do you rate me a ticket for? He said, you... I said, this is my first ticket in my life. He says, now you're trying to make me feel bad. I said, that's the point. <laughs> I'm serious. That's exactly what I said to him. He's a Nazarene that just got right with the Lord, loved my, uh, loved my ministry that I had, and still wrote me a ticket. I couldn't believe it. But I gave him a DVD anyhow, and uh, 
and uh, I actually saw him watching that thing on his computer as I drove off after he wrote me a $125 ticket. I, unbelievable. Welcome to Florida. But uh, I, uh, I want to read you something, and I found somewhat humorous, because as we travel across America, driving is interesting. People do funny things when they see a motorhome put their signal on. And I do have friends and relatives in law enforcement, and so just to give you something to laugh about before I preach tonight, these are actual police comments that were taken off of actual police car videos around the country. You know how they run that camera? And sometimes they'll actually record what they're doing and what people say. Here's the, here's, uh, I, I call it the top ten. One officer said to an individual he pulled over, he said, relax. The handcuffs are tight because they're new. They'll stretch out after you wear them for a while. <laughs> you imagine an officer saying that? It's pretty cute. Another guy said, if you run, you're only going to go to jail tired. Another officer said, he was recorded saying this, can you run faster than 1,200 feet per second? In case you didn't know, that's the average speed of a 9mm bullet fired from my gun. <laughs> you know how we get pulled over and they say, do you know how fast you were going? No, I don't know how fast I was going, officer. So this officer responded, so you don't know how fast you were going? Well, I guess that means I can write anything I want on the ticket then. <laughs> this officer said, warning? You want a warning? Okay. I'm warning you not to do that again, or I'll give you another ticket. <laughs> no, this was good. This guy was probably pulled over for weaving late at night. He said, the answer to this last question, this officer said, the answer to this last question will determine whether you're drunk or not. Was Mickey Mouse a cat or a dog? Oh, some of you need to move a little closer to the altar. <laughs> you're still thinking about that one. <laughs> Check with the kids, they'll tell you. Amen. <clears throat> somebody, somebody must have asked about a quota. Yeah, we have a quota, the officer said. Two more tickets and my wife gets a toaster oven. <laughs> Another fellow said it this way. No, sir, we don't have quotas anymore. We used to have quotas, but now we're allowed to write as many tickets as we want. But the number one of the top ten police video recordings, this one by far, absolutely outshines them all. It must have been a young lady that was pulled over. She probably fancied herself pretty. The officer responded to her question. You didn't think we give pretty women tickets? You're right. We don't. Sign here. <laughs> don't pull the pretty ticket, ladies. You might meet that guy, all right? <laughs> well, take your Bibles tonight, and let's get into the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, once you find your place, if you're able to stand, please stand with me. Colossians chapter 1, thank you so much for coming out. I know there's many things you could be doing, and I just want to say thank you for coming. And uh, I do want to mention, do not, if at all possible, miss tomorrow night's message. It is an absolutely life-changing message. It has been something God has used in my life for decades since I've been saved. The thought, if you will, and... A while back, I put it together. When I put this series together, it was one of the desires God has for our life. And if you have a visitor tomorrow night, is your last night, they are not going to regret coming. It's going to really speak to their heart, whether lost or saved. And so please do not miss tomorrow night's message. Colossians chapter 1, listen to this, verse number 9. The Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, speaking of the will of God, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I'd like to continue tonight with the thought we began last night, draw from that 
that single verse that I've simply entitled, Finding and Knowing God's Will for Your Life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this evening for the great and grand privilege we have to call you our Father. Lord, we're humbled and awed by the fact that of the millions of people in this world, the billions, that we know your Son is Savior, and we're so grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for your grace. And in his name, we ask your blessing upon our time tonight. I pray tonight, and Lord, would ask that you would take these thoughts, this desire that you have for our life, and may your Holy Spirit apply to every single heart tonight. May we be wise in how we receive it, and Lord, may you give us wisdom in how to implement this desire you have for us. And Lord, perchance there's somebody unsaved tonight, I pray tonight, they'd recognize their condition and trust Christ as Savior. Bless the word that has been sown in hearts already, and bless the word tonight as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9. We see the Spirit of God through Paul addressing the church of Colossians. He desires them to be filled with the knowledge of, of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. As we begin the thoughts last night, drawn from this verse, I, I was reminded again tonight as I studied how Paul did not, he didn't sell out cheaply. As he approached God in prayer, he He didn't ask for things that were temporary. He didn't ask for things that were shallow. I think of my prayer life, and sometimes I find myself simply coming to God, asking for Him to accomplish my will. And a lot of times in our Christianity, that's how we operate. We come to Him, and and, and we say, well, hey, thanks for saving me. Now, here's where I want to go. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to be. And we spend our time trying to get God to throw in and do our will. But as I read the Word of God, I see it's completely opposite. The Lord seems to say to us after we're saved, well, now that you're saved and on the right team and in the right family, here's where I'm going, here's what I'm doing, you come join me. Amen? I notice Paul desired that. He desired not for his will to be accomplished, but for God's will to be accomplished. Somebody said so wise, it is not as much God's will for my life as it is my life for God's will. And we're back to the heart there, aren't we? For the heart of the matter still comes back to this wandering heart we possess. We noted last night that you'll find God's will in God's word. There are places he just comes right out and says, here's something I want for you. Look with me in John chapter 6, verse number 40. We didn't look at this verse last night. In John chapter 6 and verse number 40, notice God's first great desire in John 6 and verse 40. Jesus Christ is speaking, and in John 6, 40, he begins by saying, and this is the will of him that sent me. Wow, you just can't get much clearer than that. The Savior himself says, here's God's will. John 6, 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. What is God's first great desire for humanity? It's salvation. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to have everlasting life. In answer to the question, what's the greatest need of the people? I hear the song, people need the Lord. Amen? People need the Lord. We were in West Virginia a few years back. It was 
Easter Sunday, I remember preaching a message entitled, The World's Darkest Assumption. If Christ be not risen from the dead, then what? Out of the book of Corinthians. And what we were preaching was a little country church, backside of nowhere. If the rain came down real heavy for a half an inch, maybe an inch worth of rain, you'd have to go 45 minutes out of your way. The creek would rise. You couldn't get to the church house. And you have to wend your way down the ridge of the mountain to a separate way to get in there. And a little old church, probably 30 people, 25 people, a little country church, and we were preaching a conference that week. I remember that Sunday morning... It was the second or third time in the course of about eight years I'd been through. I noticed there were visitors. They seemed to be visitors. They were unfamiliar where the scripture references were. They didn't really seem to know the hymns, and I hadn't seen them before. They were elderly, maybe their mid-60s. He was very tall, had Parkinson's disease. She was short, both very weathered. You'd see they'd lived a rough, rough life. They were sitting in the back corner. Following the service, I remember posting myself out at the door like I... I do, and greeting people as they went by, tell them I hope it was a help, and so forth. And suddenly this couple stood in front of me. He shook my hand. He said, thank you for the message, preacher. And he turned and went down the steps. She stood before me. She took, shook my hand. She said, thank you for the message, preacher. She went, started down the steps. And then she stopped halfway down. She turned around, and she came back to me. And she stood in front of me, and I will never forget what she said and how she said it. She looked down at her feet. She wouldn't even look at me. She was ashamed of who she was. And and she looked down, and this is what she said. She said, Preacher, we're not smart people. We're sort of dumb. But we know we need to be saved. Could you come by later this week and show us how to get saved? Wow. We promised her we would, and we did come by Thursday. He was medicated up. We couldn't deal with him. A month later, Billy Foster led him to the Lord, the preacher. By the way, I've been to that church since then. I led her to the Lord that Thursday. I visited her. They're both serving God, and they're praying for their boys now to get saved. You know. But I was struck with how she said it. I was struck with what she said, and I got to thinking about it. You know what? She had it all wrong. The dumb ones are the ones that think they can make a go of time and eternity without a Savior. The smart ones, I guess in her words, are those that are dumb enough to know they need to be saved. Amen. So I guess tonight, in her words, I hope you're dumb enough to know you need to be saved. Amen. And if you are saved, I hope you're wise enough to know others need him as well. I was talking to your pastor, man. loved hearing the outreach program you have as a church. Very unique. If you're not involved in that, you'll get involved in that. You say, well, why should I? Well, if you're a member, first of all, because it's not going to hurt you. But second of all, because people need the Lord. Amen? I mean, this, this nation is dying and going to hell all around us. And we need to make a difference. You ought to get involved in the rescue and recovery operation. Amen? First desire of God's is salvation. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to be saved. But notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see a second great desire that God has. And this one very clearly is for those who belong to him. In 1 Thessalonians, notice with me in chapter number 4, we see God's second great desire. Look what's said in verse number 3. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 3 Again, we see the clarity of the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God. You just can't get any clearer, amen? 
said, this is something God wants for you. This is his desire for your life. What? Even your, listen to this, sanctification. And then he goes on to explain what that is. That you should abstain from fornication, which is sexual immorality. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that's your body, in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Look at verse 7, sums it up. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. What's God's first great desire? Salvation. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life. But right behind that, what's God's second great desire? Sanctification. God wants you, now that you're saved, to be a clean-living, God-fearing child of His. Now, I'll be the first to admit tonight, the word sanctify or sanctification, we don't use that in our common tongue. I mean, if you think back over the last few weeks, uh, just in conversation in your home or at your workplace, how many times did you use the word sanctify or sanctify? Probably none. So let's define it. What does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to move towards sanctification? It has two ideas. Number one, the word sanctify means to cleanse or purify. To cleanse or purify. How many of you ladies made dinner tonight? Just out of curiosity, you put a dinner on and you didn't serve it on paper. You put it on something else, the cookware, whatever. And what did you do after you were done eating? Did you just take the dishes, scrape them off in the garbage, and put them back in the shelf? No. No, 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 no. No, you what? Washed them. You washed them. Or if you're from some states, worshed them. Which way is that? Boston? Is that Massachusetts? Worshed them. What? Washington. <laughs> Spokane <laughs> When you washed your dishes tonight You sanctified them That's the first picture of sanctification Is to cleanse or purify The second idea is this To dedicate or set apart For special use Any of you lady, ladies have fine china? Alright Raise your hand Do you have fine china? Anybody? Alright you know, you don't use fine china for common occasions. You use them for special occasions, right? I mean, you don't feed your dog on the china, do you? Do you? Who does? Yeah, brother, I'm with you, man. They say the dog's tongue is cleaner than somebody's hand, so, you know, right? It's a thought. <laughs> man, you put the Thanksgiving dinner on, you bring out the nice, you know, China, if you will, that isn't for common use. It's for high use. It's for special use. And so the word sanctify means to cleanse or purify, or, though, and, or secondly, to dedicate or set apart for special use. All right, here comes a deep theological truth. You ready for this one? There's three aspects to sanctification when you find it in your Bible. First, there's a sanctification that occurred in the past. There's a sanctification that's taking place as a Christian right now in the present. And there's a sanctification that's going to take place in the future. The past sanctification, theologians call positional sanctification. That's what happens the day you got saved. The day you were saved, you were cleansed and purified of how much of your sin? All of your sin. Past, present, and future. All of it. And you were dedicated and set apart for how long in the person of Jesus Christ? Forever, Colossians 3 tells us, if ye then be risen with Christ. He's talking to people who haven't even died. It's the positional view. Time doesn't mean anything to God. He sees it all beginning to end. Poof, and we're already there in Jesus Christ. We're just waiting for our body to catch up. So positional sanctification occurred the day you got saved. 
Then there's a present sanctification. That's how you're living now. Amen? That's how you live and conduct your life right now. And then there's a future sanctification. That sanctification is called perfect sanctification. One day you're getting a new body that can never sin. One day you're getting a new mind that can never think a dirty thought. You're going to be in a heaven that doesn't promote anything filthy. You all with me? I mean, literally, the positional truth will swallow up the practical truth and will be perfect forever in Jesus Christ. All right? Now, that's a theo- I tried to take this deep theological thought and just kind of give it to you in a little package. And here's the thing we're going to look at tonight, though. When you see the word sanctify and sanctification, almost 90% of the time that you see it in the Bible, it's not talking about what happened the day you got saved. He's not talking about what's going to happen the day you get to heaven. It's talking about how you are living right now for your Redeemer. So let's look at God's will tonight very quickly. Notice in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 3, the Spirit of God says, here's something God wants for you, for this is the will of God. Notice even your sanctification. Verse 7, that little summary verse that just paints a picture, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Christian tonight, three reasons why you and I, now that we're saved, should yield to this desire of God's for us to be clean-living, God-fearing people. I'm going to say it that way because both of those should be compliments. If somebody says you're a God-fearing person, you should say thank you. Amen? If they say you're a clean-living person, you should say thank you as a Christian. If you're lost, you ain't going to say thank you for that. But if you're saved, that's a compliment in both categories. Why tonight, Christians, should you and I be clean-living, God-fearing people now that we're saved? Number one, here's the three reasons. Number one, because of who we now belong to. Because of who we now belong to. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at this truth. 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice what's said here, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 14. Christians are being addressed here. And notice what's said in verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter 1. It's going to be a little before the book of Revelation. If you're in Genesis, you haven't gone far enough. Psalms, keep going. Gospels, you're getting warm. If you're in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you missed it. Back up just a bit. All right? In 1st Peter chapter 1, verse 14, here's the first reason tonight, Christian, why you and I should be concerned how we live and why we should want to be clean-living, God-fearing people. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, Notice verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means the way you live. Why? Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Christian, why should we care how we live? Why should we care how we act? Why should we desire to be dedicated and set apart above the world? And why should we care that we live clean lives, not dirty lives. I'll tell you why. Because of who we now belong to. You know, the day you got saved, you got saved by a holy father. Amen? Oh, let's go one more step. You're indwelt by a holy spirit, not a sinful spirit. You are going to a holy heaven, not a sinful heaven. You with me? We read the holy scriptures, not the wicked scriptures. Everything about this family reeks of holiness. 
And you and I as the children of the Father should want to be like Dad. Amen? We should want to be like Him. The very first reason tonight, Christian, that you and I should yield to this desire of our Father to be clean living and God-fearing is because of the fact we now belong to Him. He's our Father. And He's a holy Father, not a sinful Father. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul coming to the church at Corinth, he sees how they're living their lives. And I've oftentimes had people tell me, how can you get good doctrine out of the church at Corinth? I mean, you look at the church at Corinth. You read 1 2 Corinthians. The church at Corinth, everything they touched was a D-Midas touch. They didn't turn it to gold. They turned it to mud. I mean, they messed up the gifts of God. They messed up the word of God. They messed up church discipline. And, and then they messed up forgiveness on top of it. And they messed up the Lord's Supper. Everything they touched, they messed up. You read church at Corinth. They're just a messed up church. And people say, well, hi, you can't get good doctrine of that. Yes, you can. Whatever they did, just go the other way. It's like these bills these politicians pass. Whoever takes the time to read them, they don't even read them. They got to pass them to find out what's in them. <laughs> Anyhow, that's a whole nother deal. I mean, I thought, wow, we paid them for this. You know, I've learned a long time ago, I don't need to read the bills. I just look who's for it and who's against it. Oh, if that crowd, they're for it, well, I guess I'm probably against it then. You know what I mean? And if they're, they're against it, wow, then I'm probably for it. You know what I'm saying? That's the church of Corinth. Just look at how they lived, look at how they ordered their lives, and just go the other way, and you're going to be moving towards spirituality, not carnality. The apostle Paul comes to the church of Corinth in chapter 6, verse number 19. He shows up, he sees this mess and, and their worldliness and their filthy living. And, and in one word, I'm going to give it the inflection I think he gave it. He says one word and catches their attention. What? <laughs> exactly. He goes, what? He can't believe how they're living. You know what I'm saying? What they're doing in the name of Jesus. And he says, he says, you forgot something. Verse 19, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Notice verse 20, for you're brought with a price. Listen to this. Therefore glorify God. Notice, in your body and in your spirit. It's just not a spiritual, ethereal truth. Body's physical which both belong to God. Amen? You know, Christian, I found out in my Christianity, the issue of ownership will settle 90% of my sanctification questions, how I should live, how I should talk, what kind of attitudes I should go through my Christianity with. The issue of ownership will settle 90% of your questions. I remember coming home late one night from work, about 10 o'clock at night, I got home up in Alaska and sat down to eat the meal back when I ate meals after 7 o'clock. Now I like them before 7. And uh, as I'm eating the meal, the kids are still playing because they wait for Dad to get done, and then I tuck them in and stuff. They're down in the basement, and all of a sudden, man, there's this cacophony of sound comes swirling out of the basement. Sound like a couple tomcats with their tails tied together hung over a clothesline. You say, now how would you know what that sounds like? Minnesota farm boy. I'm telling you, it's fun. <laughs> that was fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know PETA, but anyhow. 
Some of you guys are going, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, what in the world is going on down there? It's just a brawl and a fight. And I remember coming down the steps and kind of standing in the shadows and working my way down to see what was going on. And when I got down there, they couldn't see me. But all four of my daughters, they're little tykes. The oldest one couldn't have been but nine maybe. And they all had the toy box dumped out, 275 toys strewn everywhere. And they're all fighting over one of them. No, it's mine. No, I want to play with it now. It's like, wow. Oh, I hate it. When, I was going to say when they act like their mother. But you know better than that. You know better than that. And I'm watching them for a while, and I'm going, boy, the apple just doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? And then I stepped out of the shadows, you know. I said, hey, so what is going on? And they all begin to go, well, I, I, I want to play with a doll next, Dad, but no, 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 no. But, and the little Sarner says, no, but I wanted to. And then Karen says, but it was my turn. And, no, it wasn't, Robin says. And it's like, oh, hey, 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 hey. And I asked one question. I said, who does that toy belong to? And little Robin says, well, it's Kimberly's, our oldest daughter. Kimberly, is that your toy? Yes, sir. I said, well, Kimberly, what do you want done with that? She said, well, Dad, I wanted Karen to play with it for five minutes. And I, got, I got Mom's watch here, and then I wanted Robin to have it for five, and then I wanted Chandra to have it for five. And Dad, you know it's mine. I play with it all the time, so I really wasn't going to play with it. I was going to just let, and that, that was Kimberly. Firstborn princess, you know. Everything the second one wasn't. <laughs> Matt wondered why I ran Karen down the altar to get married. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amen. She is daddy's girl, though, all the way. I said, well... That's your, okay, that's what you want. Yes, sir, that's how I want. I said, all right, everybody, listen up. That's Kimberly's doll. She gets called the shots because she's the owner. And you heard how she wants it done. And so you just, you have a question. You see Kimberly. Kimberly, you got any problems? You come see me. Yes, sir. End of fight. Peace ruled for the rest of the night. You know who we are? Here's who we are. We get saved and we go, well, now, Lord, here's just what I said earlier. Here's what I want to do. No, I don't want to do that. No, I want to be this. No, I want to be that. No, I, I don't. And fight, 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 fight. And you know what? We forgot something. The day we got saved, we gave up landlord rights. We're nothing but renters right now. He's the landlord, amen? And the last time I checked, you just don't go do anything to the property you feel like going. You check with the owner first before you go ahead and do something. Amen? Ooh, Americans don't like that. Because we like to think we're in charge. No, he's in charge, just for your information. Amen? And let me tell you something. When you do that as a Christian, because now you're in Father's household, peace will rule. And contention goes away. Oh, yeah. Been there, experienced that so many times. Look at this. Look at it in... in, Leviticus, don't need to turn. Leviticus chapter 8, I'll just go ahead and note this. You say, well, how much of me belongs to him? Do you know in Leviticus chapter 8, you take the time to study it. When the priesthood was dedicated to serve the Lord, they were sanctified, that's the word, dedicated with blood. The blood of a bull or the blood of a goat. And you know where they put the blood? Right earlobe, 
right thumb, right big toe. You know what that literally pictured? From head to toe, every bit of them was set aside to serve the Lord. And let me say, the day you were saved, you were sanctified with blood as well. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And our children have it right. Head and shoulders, knees and toes. Every bit of you belongs to Jesus Christ tonight. You ought to check in with him about how you order your life. Amen? Look at Romans 6. Watch this. And then we'll go to our second point tonight. God's first great desire is salvation. But right behind that, Christian, he wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be dedicated, set apart unto service to him. And he wants us to be clean, living, God-fearing children. Obedient, not disobedient. Clean, not dirty. Notice with me in, in Romans chapter 6. I call this the Chilton's Manual Exploded View of Sanctification. Guys, this is what it is. Romans 6 in two verses, you're going to see the Chilton's Manual exploded view. You know how you get a Chilton's Manual and all the parts are separated with little arrows and dots and stuff? Watch slow motion sanctification, Romans 6. Here it comes, verse 17. The Bible says in Romans 6, 17, But God be thanked that ye, what, were the servants of sin. But you've obeyed from the heart that former doctrine which was delivered you. The context obviously infers you got saved. And being then made free from sin, verse 18, you became the servants of righteousness. Circle verse 19. Here's the verse. Here it is. Here comes the Chilton's manual, exploded slow motion view of sanctification. He says, I speak after the man of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. Here it comes. For as ye have yielded your members. Pause. What's that word members mean? Body parts. Your members are your body parts. He says, before you were saved, you yielded your body parts, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now, now what? Now that you're saved. Yield your members, your body parts, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Application. The Lord's saying, hey, before you were saved, those eyes used to look at filth. But now that you're saved, those eyes aren't your eyes. Those eyes are my eyes. And those eyes that used to look at filth and, and garbage and things, no, no, those eyes, I want them to look at my word. I want them to look out and see the needs of others. You with me? Those ears that used to listen to filth before you got saved, oh, those aren't your ears now. Those are my ears. I own you. I want those ears to listen to holy things, not wicked things. Amen? Those feet that used to take you to the bar before you got saved, take you to bad places, ah, those aren't your feet now. Now that you're saved, those are my feet. Those feet, I want to take you to church. I want you to go to the neighbor and tell him Jesus saves. That tongue that used to say filthy things, that ain't your tongue now. Now that you're saved, that's my tongue. I wanted to sing my praises. I want it to be used for me. That, you with me? That mind that thought on filth, and not your mind. That's my mind. I wanted to think on righteousness and good things. That is what Romans 6 is saying. What's the first reason tonight? You and I should even consider taking this thought and owning it because of who we now belong to. We belong to a very holy father in a very holy home indwelt by a very holy spirit. We ought to desire to move that way. Amen? And you know what? Here's the thing. In spite of America, in spite of everything, you know in your heart, Christian, this is true. 
the Spirit of God goes, ding, yes. Amen? So number one, because of who you now belong to. Number two, what's the second reason? Go to Romans, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look with me in verse number 20. There's a second reason tonight, Christian, why you should yield and own this truth. You should make this something in your heart, this desire toward holiness, this movement toward Christ-likeness, not only because of who you now belong to, but according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, because of who you now represent. Because of who you now represent. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look what's said here in verse, verse number 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Verse number 19, by the way, is speaking of reconciliation, being saved. That's what verse number 17, 18, and 19 are talking about. Now that you're saved, verse number 20, now then, the now then means now that you're saved, now that you belong to him, look it, your title just changed. We are ambassadors for Christ. Catch that? What happened the day you got saved? You didn't just change households. You also became an ambassador. You became a representative of another country. You became the representative of another kingdom. You became the representative of another king. Amen? And you know what? You're in a foreign land right now. This place isn't home. I know we try to make it that. Did you ever notice that? All your little plans, get all your little plans. I notice this. I'm a planner. I'm not kidding you. I have a 10-year plan. I have a five-year plan. I'm, I'm dead serious. I, I mean, I, things where I want to be and what I want to accomplish for the Lord and where I want to be in various things, I've got these plans. But isn't it amazing in this old mud ball, this sin-cursed mess? You make all your little old plans. You know, you want to be here financially. You want to be here. Praise the Lord, Brother Drake. Psh, getting out of debt, amen? Old blue. Rusty, whatever that thing is, gray, what dapple, dapple gray, whatever. Amen. Good goal. But all too often, you know what I find? You sit there and you make your little nest, you get everything the way you want it, and all of a sudden it's like one leader gets put here and another one gets put there, and you know, it never goes according completely to plan, you know. We're ambassadors in a foreign country. This world is not our home. We represent another land. Amen? And let me tell you something. Our king cares about how he's being represented in this foreign country. I remember, I don't know if you ever had this experience. First church ever pastored. North Pole, Alaska, Kingsway Baptist Church. I took that work as a very young man. First church I pastored. In fact, Nick Bickish planted that church, and I was the pastor he installed after I helped him plant that church. It's a missionary you support. I pastored it for eight months, and at the end of eight months, I said, I am way over my head. I couldn't wait for Nick to come back and take that thing. And I started a Christian school afterwards. But I remember when I got the pastorate, there were some neat perks that came with it. I got $2,600 a month salary. Man, that was nice. I had never had a guaranteed paycheck. Second of all, I got a gas card. The church paid for all my fuel. I remember I got the closest parking place. You say, well, that's no big deal. Reserve pastor right up next to the door of the church. That's a big deal at 55 below zero. I think, I think some of the visitors are still up there, man. I don't think they ever get the far outer darkness, we called that edge of the parking lot. And I got something else. I got a one-year-old Dodge van, navy blue. I mean, I moved out of that 65 Suburban that I had, and I got into that Dodge van. Everything worked. Everything worked. Power, everything. It was like, wow. But there's something that came with that van I was not expecting. 
written in gold letters on both sides were the words, Kingsway Baptist Church. I don't know how you drive in an unmarked vehicle. Hmm, you answered. But I remember getting in that van. Decided I'm going to go cruising up to Fairbanks, get the mail. And it's about a 15, 20 minute drive. And I got in that van and I took off 65 and a 55. I'm cruising along and all of a sudden it hit me. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, but man, I, I'm speeding. Wouldn't that be a testimony? You know, Kingsway Baptist Church van, preacher sitting there, you know, the lights going, getting a ticket. Wouldn't it? people going by watching the church get a ticket? Whoa, man, slowed her down. But I forgot it was a marked vehicle. Fifteen minutes later, I'm pulling in the parking lot. That post office in Fairbanks never had enough parking, so I'd always park in the handicap zone. I know, I know, I know that's not cool, but it worked. And uh, <laughs> the handicap people never could catch me, you know. They're just too slow. And so, but I'd pile into the handicap zone, you know, leave the vehicle running, running, get the mail, run back before the tow truck could get me, and boom, I was out of there. And I remember sliding in the parking lot, come piling out of there. I'm running into the post office like, ah! Kingsway Baptist Church. Whoa, wouldn't that be a testimony? Chasing the tow truck, uh, the church van. Oh, man, got that thing out of there, you know. The knowledge, here's the thing, that I was representing something bigger than me changed how I drove. Let me tell you something. (laughs) The knowledge that you represent a king and a kingdom and you belong to that king and kingdom should change how you live. Oh, yeah. Because the day you got saved, whether you cared for it or not, you became a representative of heaven. You're an ambassador. Amen? Oh, man. I tell you, the second reason why you and I should... Yield to clean living and God-fearing lifestyle is because of who we now represent. But then thirdly, and lastly, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Just go back one page. There's a third reason I found in the Word of God. And the Spirit of God so tagged me with this that I ought to consider how I live. I ought to consider how I, I, I order my life. I ought to consider what I say and how I say it and what I do and where I go. Why? Thirdly, Because of who I now affect. Or let's make it personal. Because of who you now affect. Look what's said, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2. The Apostle Paul's looking at people that he's been instrumental in probably leading to the Lord. And look at what he says about these young Christians in verse 2. He said, ye are our epistle. That word epistle just literally means letter. You're our epistle. You're our letter. Written in our hearts. Very dear to Paul. But watch this truth. Known and read of all men. Wow. Christian, why tonight should we even care how we live? And when we care how we live, why should we decide to live a holy life, not a filthy life? Because of who we now affect. We're living letters. Let me tell you something I know about lost people. Notice Paul said you're known and read of all men, not just the saved. Let me tell you something about lost people. They don't read their Bibles. They read Christians. 
And they read us for two reasons. Number one, the obvious one. They're looking for a reason to discredit our Savior and discredit the message. And they're looking for a reason. You think of David, how he gave those that didn't belong to God a good reason. Do you remember that, how jealous our God was out of that situation? David lied, committed adultery. He went ahead and committed murder, etc., etc. And at the end of it all, he said, you're right, I've sinned. And Nathan said, God's put away your sin. How be it? Because by this deed, you've given the enemies of God great occasion to blaspheme his name. Your child's going to die. God let him loose on everything but that one. You know why? Because God's name got soiled because of the way David lived. And God said, you're going to owe me on that one. Wow. Our God is a jealous God. He knows people don't read their Bible. He knows they read the children. Amen. And they do read us for the reason to reject the message. But I believe sometimes they watch us and how we live. Because I really do think sometimes they really are hoping we got something real. You know what I'm saying? I've watched people. I've had them tell me that. When you and I leave those, those doors tonight, we go out into that darkened world. We're the salt and light. And we're the Bible they're going to read. We ought to just take that and we ought to just say, wow, if they're reading me at work, how should I order my life? Let me just give you a list. You ought to be the hardest working guy at work. You ought to be the least complaining guy at work. You with me? You ought to be the punctual one because you bear the title Christian. You're a child of a king. You're royalty. You with me? You ought to be the most honest. You should never be the one slamming the boss. When the dirty jerk jokes are told, you don't have to throw a big fit. And all. Just walk away. You with me? There should be a cognizance and awareness when we're around lost people that we need to represent our God the way he deserves to be represented. I'm sitting at a Starbucks. And you know at Starbucks, you're, you'll be sitting. I, I love reading at Starbucks. That's my favorite study place. This is the weirdest thing. I don't know. I just love sitting at Mars Hill. It's the Mars Hill of our day. Everybody comes in and philosophize and talk, you know. And I got Bibles and notes, and I'm always looking for them boys solving the world's problems, and I go talk to them and give them a tract and invite them to come to the meeting, you know. And it just, I love doing it. But you know, all too often, this happens. I've got my Bible out, and, and I, like, I like the table, and you're allowed to do it, just so you don't get mad at me, the handicap table, all right? You're allowed to do that. If somebody needs it, you give it to them, okay? I'm, I'm telling you the truth. That's how that operates there. I checked with management before I put my Bible on it, <laughs> you know. And it's usually kind of where the line forms. And I'm just telling you, young ladies sometimes in the world don't dress nicely. You with me? I'm just, I'm just telling you. And I'm there with my Bible and they're that close. I could reach out and touch them. And there's guys that I've talked to about the Lord. And there's this awareness that they're watching to see what my eyes do. You ever had that awareness? They're watching to see what I do when she walks by. I want you to say tonight, that's good. Because there was a time I didn't care where my eyes went. You all with me? Because I was lost. I was representing a whole different kingdom. But we should care now what lost people think. Amen? I mean, you ever see those truckers go down the road? On the back is this sign on the back of the semi. 
How's my driving? Call 1-888-da-da-da. You ever see that? Oh, I think every pastor ought to do this one month every year. Just have a, a sanctification awareness month or a representative ambassadorship awareness month. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And he ought to get these buttons printed up for every single church member. And they ought to wear it during the daylight hours. They ought to wear it all the time. And they ought to wear it right there in the front. It says, I'm a Christian. How's my living? Call my pastor. da 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 Whoa. Would that be something? Hey, would that make you act a little differently when things weren't going right at work, guys? Huh? Would that make you drive a little differently? (laughs) You ever been behind somebody slow-poking it, and you're on your way to church, and you're honking at them? When you get there, you find out it's a church member. (laughs) Done it. And then you, you know, honks talk, you know. It's like honk, honk, hi, and honk, honk, hurry up. And it was not the high honk. And it's like, oh, man, I can't believe I did that. I'm getting you to try to think. Because that's what salt and light is. It's not just saying, I'm salt and I'm light. That's the positional truth. No, the practical truth is you go out and engage and live in such a way you are salt and you are light. Amen? I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not, you know. Our speech is always with grace. Amen? The day of angry fundamentalism. I don't have, a, I don't have any time for that junk. You with me? Wise, gracious, mature. Amen? Christianity. That plants a flag and holds their ground. You and I should care because of who we now affect. Look with me in 2 Timothy. We're about done tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2. God's second great desire tonight, Christian, is sanctification. He wants us to be clean, living, God-fearing children of his. Look what's said. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 19. What a powerful portion of Scripture. It's all through. Colossians 3 is full of this thought. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is full of this thought of sanctification. Practically, how to apply it. You ought to take the time to read it. Colossians 3 and 2 Timothy 2. Watch what's said in verse 19. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. I like that word seal. You know what it paints in my mind? This picture. Stamp of authenticity. Took manufacturer's imprint. This one's made in heaven. This is real. What's the seal? Twofold. Number one, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I just remind you, it's not you knowing him, it's him knowing you. But second of all, look at this. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You're going to call yourself a Christian, he says, and you live like one. Notice how he describes this in verse 20. But in a great house, the context is this is your life. It's your life. It's you. You're the great house. There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. It looks like six items. It's just two items renamed three times. It's just they're named three times, two items. Honorable and dishonorable. Notice verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, the context you'll see is the dishonorable and bad things, then he shall be a vessel unto honor. Look at the word. Sanctified. And meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. It's the Lord saying, go through your life. 
We ought to just get, and, and, and I said it, we ought to get this, 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 this thing of sticky lickies and have a whole stack that says dishonorable and have another stack that says honorable. And we ought to just go and put them on things and determine what's honorable and dishonorable. You say, well, what are the things I should consider? What are the categories? Well, number one, all through your Bible, guess what the biggest thing God's concerned about? You ready for this? Attitude. Almost 90% of the time, God tells you to put off something, it's an attitude. Anger, wrath. You with me? Those are attitudes. By the way, guys, that's where we camp. That's our challenge is anger. Let me tell you something. I've watched anger wreck marriages. I've watched anger wreck testimonies. I've watched anger wreck friendships. Guys, do not trifle with that. You're an unwalled city. You're vulnerable. And you will lose if you don't get the spirit of anger handled and taken care of. Women, bitterness, worry, now, that varies, but those are attitudes. 90% of the time, you know what we should do? We should say, was that an honorable attitude or a dishonorable attitude? How I just spoke to my wife, was that honorable or dishonorable? You with me? First, attitudes. Number two, activities. You and I ought to be willing to say there are some things that are just activities on becoming a Christian. Amen? You say, give an example. Hey, after I got saved and I shared the gospel with the family, two nights later I went to the dance hall to meet with my younger underclassmen and my juniors, who are now seniors. I went to the dance hall. I like dance halls in my lost days. You say, well, why? Oh, that's one of those, duh. I have to tell you, it's not worth it. We know why. I went to the dance hall, and I didn't last five minutes in the Spirit of God said, you do not belong here. And I left the dance hall. I left the bars. I wasn't a big drinker. My twin brother Doug was, but I wasn't that big a drinker. But I didn't go back to the bars. You with me? I mean, we ought to be willing to say, hey, that attitude, that's dishonorable. That, does, that's not, that shouldn't be how a Christian conducts themselves. And then second of all, we ought to look at activities. And thirdly, we ought to look at associations. Who's your best friend tonight? Your best friend ought to lead you closer to the Lord, not further away. I'm going to tell you this. Some of you probably tonight, if you're like any normal person, probably need to change some friendships. Amen? Teens, that's something you always have to value. I'm doing a friendship study with you guys tomorrow. You're going to love it. We're going to identify five false friends. They say they're friends and buddies, but they're not. And we're going to see the true ones. You're going to love it. You'll be buzzing about it all day long. And fourthly, and I'll throw it out, and it's always like screen doors on a submarine. But we have to also consider our attire. People say, oh, don't say it. Well, listen, even the Catholics tell you to wear something, for crying out loud. Okay? I mean, I'm a dad, and there's been times I looked at my daughters and said, you are not going out of the house looking like that. Why would a dad say that? Because dads know how boys think. Duh. Amen? 
So, I mean, we ought to think about all this. You're you with me? Just, I'm not trying to throw grenades and just... I'm trying to get you to think tonight. We're not our own. We've been brought with a price. We're representatives of another kingdom and a, another country. And, and, and we ought to just think about everything from attitudes to activities to associations to attire and just say, Hey, does this represent him the way he deserves to be represented? That'll be what we ask. And mark it well. Sanctification isn't just saying no to things, but it's also getting dedicated and set apart closer to Him. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart, Scripture says. The closer you get to Him, the further you get from the world. Amen? But at the very heart of sanctification, I'll give you this. You ready for it? Here's where it all rises and falls, and we're done. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, then think on these things. We humans are like cattle. We'll never go where we don't look first. Amen? And let me say this, we'll never do what we don't think about first. We will always think it before we do it. It's who we are, and that's why the Spirit of God says, give me your mind, it's really your heart. When you get to the end of the whole thing, the mind, the will, the heart, it's just all, but you give me your mind. If I get your mind, I get all that other stuff. This is the will of God tonight. Even your sanctification for God hath not called us unto uncleanness but unto holiness and P.S. free illustration from Pastor Gary Prisk I'll never forget it he says as Christians we're ships we're meant to sail we're not meant to sit in a harbor like a monk Sit in the cave and just study. No, we're meant to go out and project the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of darkness. To take light to darkness. And ships are meant to sail. And there's nothing wrong with a ship being in the water. That's where ships belong. But he said there's a big problem when the water gets in the ship. Christian, we're in this world, but we're not of it. Keep the water of the world out of your ship. While you sail, you'll have to walk with God to do that. And every night you'll have to cleanse yourself of the things that try to get in your life and stay there. Keep the water out of the ship, but keep your ship in that water. Because that's what we've been called to do. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. May you be clean living, God-fearing people because of who you now belong to because of who you now represent, and because of inevitably who you will affect. Amen? May we gladly take the title child of the king. Amen? Let's go serve him. Let's represent him well. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for your very clear desire for our lives now that we belong to you is to be like you. And Lord, I pray tonight for every one of us, myself included, help, help us, Lord, tonight to represent you as you deserve to be represented, to represent your son as he deserved to be represented. Father, may we consider our attitudes and activities and associations.
Lord, may we find those things that are dishonorable and move away. Put them off and then put in their place something honorable. Thank you for the day you changed my friendships. 